So I would like to welcome Rashiva uh, to first Columbus, Ohio, and uh, more importantly, to inaugurate our Rosh Chaburah that we're going to be doing this evening, and less important, not so less important, but uh, to sit down to do this episode with us, and it's a big schos to have Rashiva with us. Thank you for giving me the chance to inaugurate this. So, there's a mission in Avos that says, Shimon ben Gamliel, Aymer, Kol Yomai Gadalti ben Achachamim, he grew up among many sages, and he says, Loi Matsasi Loguf Taiv El Mashtika. He says he didn't find anything good um, from exposure to who, how he grew up, except for shtika, except for silence. So that was his takeaway, having um, Rav Gamliel as his uh, as his father and Rebbe as his grandfather. Thinking about the Rosh Hashiva, the Rosh Hashiva's father, Rav Shmuel Shlita, Rosh Hashiva's grandfather, Yaakov Kamenetsky, Zechot Tzarek Levracha, what is the Rosh Hashiva's Kol Yemei Gadalti? What, what, is, what, what did the Rosh Hashiva observe? Things that left an impression? Any stories? There's so much to say. But I think what I'm going to do is at first I'm going to start plagiarizing. And I'll plagiarize with this very Mishnah. Shtika. I'll explain. The Goyin says in the Dayasaliyo of fascinating Rashi Tevis. says the word Bereshis the beginning of the Torah, just like this episode is the beginning of your seasonal podcast, it has a lot in it. It's all-inclusive. So the word Bereshis is Rosh Tevis. It's an acronym for all the things one needs for Atzloche and Avedas Hashem. It says as follows. Beis stands for Bitochein, faith, belief in HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Reish stands for Ratzain, which means the Kiyum, Doing Hakadosh Baruch Hu's mitzvahs, doing his rotsoin. Aleph stands for Aleph, Ava, Ava Hashem. I'm going to skip the Shin. Yud stands for Yira Hashem. And Sof, he says, stands for Torah. So you have Torah, you have mitzvahs, Ava Hashem, Yira Hashem, Vitochen, and then Jamun, everything seems to be covered. The guy says, Shin stands for Shtika. It's a fascinating thing. Do we really put Shtika on the same pedestal? Same pedestal as Ava Sashem, Yir Sashem, Torah, Mitzvahs, Amunah Bitochen. It's an unbelievable statement. But it's understood as follows. Shtika means the ability to be quiet. A, to listen to others. B, when you do a spouse and say something, leave it reserved, limited, say as much as needs to be said and not more. C, to, invite, to, to convey, to make sure that the person listening understands that there's so much more than you, you have to say. And overall, the nature of being quiet is always giving a chance for someone else to be fully respected. I saw my grandfather, is, he was a Shaskan. I once went on a trip with him once from New York, from Nancy to New York. Someone wanted to speak with him. The trip was over an hour, Lombard took. He said almost nothing, and that person spoke the entire time. And he simply listened. One can only listen if one learns to be a shaska. My father, as much as he says, he says very little. He's a shaska. He's a makabal. I noticed my grandfather many times being mechab others. It was amazing to see how he spoke with Derecheretz and Kovit to an Odom Godel. And the same sense of Derecheretz and Kovit to a small person, to a child. 
point always was on the Shai's sake. And because I'm a Shai's sake, I'm a Mechabo, and I could see somebody else. The takeaway overall would be the amazing Kovan Abris. The amazing Shivas of what's called Selam Alekim. He saw that in every single person. He's a brilliant person, but there was always a place for somebody else. I saw that both my father and my grandfather, they both understand that there's somebody else. They walk into a room, they don't take the air out of the room. It's not about themselves. It's about somebody else. My father constantly says, person is created for somebody else. Take away could be that I've learned and I've been exposed to a person that's lived a life which is totally committed to the other. That would be the most important takeaway. And it's shtika. It's shtika, but why? And does the Rashi have an explanation? Why is it totally good? Why is it good for the body? I would understand the neshama on a spiritual level, but why is it good for the body? That's a good question. The guf is something which has a limitation. The neshama does not. A shaisik or a makabu has no limitations. Mm-hmm. A medaber is limited. Mm-hmm. A balgaiva is limited. The, the Mairal says, Mida sa'anova lo yugdor lo yugvo. It's a mida which has no boundaries. It's boundaryless. So a person, the best thing for the person's body is that it's boundaryless. Otherwise the goof is very limited. So it's not healthy. Discipline? Discipline is the word. Switching topics. Uh, the first time I had the opportunity to hear the Rashiva um, give a share, a lecture maybe, was, uh, let's say, about eight or eight years ago or so. It was uh, back in the Nerla Aleph days with Rabbi Moishi Katz. Give him a shout out. Um, he's the reason why I'm here. So if anyone doesn't like me, they could take it up with him. <laughs> but uh, Rashiva spoke about Ikvasa de Mashiach, the time, the footsteps of Mashiach. Rashiva had a lot of different sources and current events that aligned with some of these sources from Rishonim, some of the early commentaries. I want to know if maybe in a snapshot if we could revisit that topic and talk a little bit of the footsteps of Mashiach and how do we respond? How do we internalize the message and you know react appropriately? This is an amazing subject and there's so much to say. And let me give you a few points I think are most important for your listeners to hear. Number one, Talk about Chazal that say, If you see kings in tension, in conflict, wars, we've never expected in 2022 to have an ongoing war between nations, shooting, killing, missiles, and so on and so forth. It just doesn't happen. We don't are past that point. World War II was the end of all wars. It's not an ongoing conflict. And that is not only the place we have. You have other countries, a lot of war, a lot of saber-rattling, saber and I don't have to go through the current events, we all know them. Be it China, Taiwan, be it South and North Korea, whatever it should be, wars in the year. Let's first understand why that's a time that one should think about Mashiach's coming. Mashiach is about taking, accepting one king. Melech echad lekulonu. Kaddish Baruch is the ultimate Melech, and there's Melech David Mashiach, which is a Malka Mashiach, which rules supreme. And everyone accepts that one king. When the ear has the offings or the stirrings of Mashiach, you have to understand 
that what happens at that point is it's sensed, it's felt by every leader. There's something which will challenge my leadership. And very often, leaders react to challenge of leadership by establishing their strength and their sovereignty and their malchus by challenging others. Russia wants to establish itself as king, ruler, monarch, call it what you want. It'll establish it by going to Ukraine. Taiwan wants to send its melech, its reign, it reigns supreme. It'll go in Taiwan. North Korea wants to insist, I'm stronger, I'm melech. The stirrings of insisting their malchios isn't simply geopolitics. It's simply because there's a stirring of Ruchesh al-Mashiach. There's a melech echel lechulonu, which overrides all of those malchios that gets these people moving and stirring. So the times are really times of Mashiach today. Everything that Chazal pre- predicted as far as Ekebis and the Mashiach has come true. It's, it's an amazing thing and there's no time or place to go through the list. But let me tell you something which is very important. There are skeptics amount, amongst us. And you know, it's, it's silly the Chavetz Chaim addresses the skeptics. He says, even Adosh Moshuvim, oh, leave me alone with the Mashiach things. He says, he has um, Chazal and explanations. He says, no, Chas V'Sholem. There is a need to be mitzapah. There is a need to wait for it. But it's an interesting statement. Chazal say there are things that come that come with the removal of your mind, take your mind away from it. And it seems somewhat contradictory. On the one hand, you have an ongoing ruach, a feeling there's clearly something happening. Mashiach is around, he's around the corner. There's something really happening. That's, that's the reaction. The other hand, you're told, Mashiach comes and no one's thinking about it. Which one is it? Especially... If we know that Mashiach has to come, or we expect him to come, how could you not think about Mashiach? So let me tell you what Chazal mean. When Chazal tell us there's a need of Hesachadas, it means instead of being involved in the news and the stirrings and the machinations of, of states and countries and all the political stuff, take yourself away and focus. It's an important time, it's a suspicious time. You need to strengthen your Kima Mitzvahs, to strengthen your Limit Torah. And that's the Hesachadas, the removal of the mind's, a mind's eye, thinking about the goings-on. The goings-on, you're aware of it, overarching, you feel it. It's there, it's alive, it's vibrant, it's a dynamic. But at the same time, what you're doing is Masiyah Das. You're focused on your Kiyam and Mitzvahs. You're focused on Yilim and Atayra. You're focused on the things that have to be focused on. And with that, he comes. So it's not as if these things are contradictory. We know he's in the air. We feel he's in the air. We know that it's not something which simply is to be ignored. The facts speak for themselves. The flip side is, focus on things you've got to do to be ready for the advent of Mashiach. Okay, so how do we be ready? Torah Mitzvah. Torah everything you're doing. You keep on doing what you're doing, you do it well, with focus. No time spent. No time wasted. Just do it better. And that focus of what you're doing with a sense of urgency. Let me give you an analogy. There's a famous Frenchman that had this fetish about walking the tightrope. He would find places, the most outlandish places, to put a rope and walk in this tightrope. He once put a line between the Twin Towers. Aleya, mashallah. And he walked out on that rope between the two buildings, laid down, put a stick across him in the middle of Manhattan. He was arrested when he came down for disturbing the peace. But having said that, he stopped and think for a moment, what was he thinking when he stepped down on that line? The fear of falling? 
he killed him. If he had thought about that, he would have probably fallen. Mm -hmm. The fear would have shaken him. He would have fallen. He thought about one thing and one thing only, how well of a job he's got to do here. Understanding full well that the consequences of not a, a job not well done, he's history. So the stakes are high. The stakes are high, yeah. but the focus is there. Mm -hmm. Once you understand where the stakes are, you understand where you've got to focus. But my question, my follow-up would be, throughout all the generations, you know, we say on Pesach, you know, the whole dar vador, every generation they're going after us, and I'm sure whichever one throughout history, people said then, oh, Mashiach must be coming. So why is right now, 2022, unique? It's a good question. Let me tell you something. I think that there's no question in anybody's mind that the advent of, we'll call it internet, the advent of globalization, the advent of all the things that we're experiencing now are clearly manifestations of things that never, ever existed before. They couldn't have. There was no way of having instantaneous communication internationally, global, covering the entire globe. I think that is, is clearly a cut above anything we went through before. Now it's global anti-Semitism. Now it's global everything. Now it's, it's, it's in a global, global conflict. There's no such thing. It's no longer limited. In a global friend, we understand that anything Mashiach is about is all global. It's something which globally affects us all. In one instantaneous moment where we have a gula, sida, we're given the gula, that's global. Rama speaks about the fact that there's a concept of, he calls it, Neutzrus and Islam. He says that it came before us to show us the way to a global, a global idea, a global concept. What we have today, he says, is a global, the of Dvarim is, we have globalization today. This never existed before. Of course, each community had its limited sorrow. And each war, World War II, was also a place where it's World War II. We call it World War. But nothing close to what we have today. Now going to relationships. Around 1950, the divorce rate was somewhere in this low single digits. Fast forward five, five decades, it's somewhere around 50%. It's, it's very hard to believe. Now it dipped a little bit under 50%. I don't think because marriages are getting better, I think pe less people are getting married. Right. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu is Mizavik Shidduchim. HaKadosh Baruch Hu sets people up. And of course, you know, that didn't change. What did change? Let me tell you something fascinating. There is a place in the Gemara where you have the Maharal, the Goyim and the Masha all saying one thing. The Gemara talks about Haiman the Boy Chasida. A person wants to be a saint. So Rabbi says he should be asking the Milad and the and he should be involved in tort law, damages. Be careful about damaging someone else. The Gemara has two opinions. The opinion is Milad the Brachis, Milad the Ovis. and Brachis. They all say the same sigma, and they say like this. There are three types of relationships. As often as we hear about two, there's a third type of relationship. We know those relationships between ourselves and HaKadosh Baruch and ourselves and fellow man. They say there's a third relationship. It's called Ben Adam La'atzmai. Ben Adam La'atzmai is a relationship. That means one has to be very secure within himself and relate to himself well. Self-esteem self is one way of doing it but really understand who you are, what you are, what you're about, and what your focus is for your, as a mensch, yourself, to be able to be misasik in It starts with If a person lacks, we'll call it self-esteem, he lacks a good relationship to himself, he doesn't see himself as anything or worth anything, or his ego is through the sky because he sees himself as nothing, 
Now, however you're going to take this and psychologically break it down, that chisarn of Adam la'atzmai is unfortunately the cause of no yachatz called Adam la'chaveirei. There is so much garbage that we as individuals in, 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 in absorb that we no longer have the ability to, 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 to relate. Kodesh Baruch has mzavik zivuvim where we have to be mentioned. It makes the shaduchim mensh. And you're talking about, again, take the internet for, as an example, where now the world of, 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 of communications is such where there's zero relationship and all communication. One gets absorbed with that, he's self-absorbed, the needs of the constant response of your WhatsApp, your, your Facebook, your social media, constant, it's all self, 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 self. So it's very difficult when you're fighting something which is all about self and zero self. Simultaneously, it's really developed a relationship called marriage. So, besides everything else that, that the society does to be sure to undermine the institution called marriage. So let's go in a little deeper because a lot of people say, these things, let's say it's social media, let's say it's internet, you know, the, there was the you know line that was coined by the city field of Asifa, and I'm not commenting whether it's a good line or not, but the, the saying was, you can't live with it and you can't live without it. So if it's all about self, and that's hurting relationships, practically speaking, what should one do to increase their relationship in Adam La'atzma, while simultaneously living in today's world, which have these realities? The first step is having that realization to have that understanding. It's not called self-absorption to understand what am I? Who am I? Can I indeed turn off my electronic device for a day or two and not look at it to really live independently? Can I do that? I think we're holding by an hour or two. But yeah. In other words, but once you begin to realize what it means and how much your life isn't your own, people that can't be themselves, they can't exist with themselves, they need the they need the entertainment. They need the stimulation. They need whatever it is, something else, to keep themselves busy with because they can't live with themselves. True, it's necessary. The, the, the ubiquitous internet has become something which is unfortunately necessary in a lot of fields of life. That is all true. But lose a sense of self, to be totally overtaken, where you have no sense of who you are, it won't work. Mm-hmm. There's movement now amongst teenagers to get flip phones. Yeah. Very strong movement to get flip phones. Secular? Secular. They call themselves the Lubites. This might be the only time where we see uh, the, the, the secular following the Yidden and not the other way around. Yeah. But, uh, We've been fighting it all along, but I think they're beginning to realize there is no life. So, the Indian, the Indian, the Indian, moving on to the next topic that's related, is the increase of mental health issues. Um, there's discussions about whether there's a real increase or more aware. I had a, we did an episode with Dr. David Lieberman and he said, hands down, there's a real increase. There is. Why is that? Very much connected to this. And again, there's so much to say this. You know, unfortunately, I became the go-to rabbi with for mental health professionals. So mm-hmm. I know a lot about the field. Mm-hmm. I will tell you, it's very clear because our self-esteem, we want to use self-esteem, it's a broad term, but our self-esteem, our self-confidence, is, is, is totally non-existent because there is no self. And once that happens, the sky's the limit as to what their mental health was going to take you. There are real mental health issues which are now so much more prevalent. I will tell you the change in everything we do, everything we ingest, everything we live with, the pollutants, all of these things make a difference. I'm not, I'm not talking as a conspiracist or talking about world conspiracy. I'm talking about the, the fact that we're not leading natural lives. 
we're penned up. We don't live in the world of the outdoors, the wilderness. We live penned up in, in boxes. We're, t- we're stuck to in all of these things. The fact that we do have screen time takes away from other people, so social interaction has become limited. So anytime there's some kind of predisposition for something, it'll, it'll show itself in a very, very exaggerated form because of the things that, that I like, the life we live. A, a lot of professionals, medical professionals, will, you know, their go-to is, is a chemical imbalance. That someone has, you know, their genetics, their predisposition for that. Is there truth to that, and how would that? Sometimes be? I can't say it's not true. Sometimes there are predispositions. No question. It's not always the case. Can we play with the brain and play with the chemicals, do all kinds of things? Yes, sure we can. And would that, that be the proper hishtablus? No, not if you could avoid it. No, no, but, but if someone does need it. If someone needs, it, yes, of course, it's necessary. It's necessary. And one the. Sure, it's necessary. Medications, when needed, are necessary. We have the right to do so. But it has to be very, very, very um, specific. Right, 100%. It's not the go-to. It's something which is when on the last resort. There are many things within the context of what can be done to help to help people with, with, with emotional and mental issues. The, the word that's being thrown around right now is resiliency. Right. There's truth to that. We've raised it in a, com- a community of no resiliency. That's what we've raised. Everything's given to you. Everything's fed to you. It's spoon-fed. You're mildly coddled. There is no such thing as dealing. You know, you tell a person, deal. You know, it just doesn't happen. You know, that goes back to your previous question about divorce. Unfortunately, I'm involved in many cases. More often than not, make it work. Be a mensch. Do it. And they just, no, it's just not working. They just walk out. There's no resilience. There's no There's no feeling of of, of you know, Grinning your teeth and making it work. So our next question comes courtesy of Rabbi Farber from Torah Links, and he asked me to ask the following question in regarding Kiruv Rechaykim and the world of outreach. How do we reach people today in this modern time when they have so little connection to Yiddishkeit? How do we, as Bnei Torah, how does we, as from Yidden, how do we reach these people? What's our obligation? That's two questions. Yeah. How and what's our obligation? Yeah. The obligation is to do as much as we can, obviously. But the challenge is much more. You know, the, the things we can do have become so, more, so much more, more limited because so, many, so, 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 little things, so few things we can do. The only I feel as follows. To sell Yiddishkeit per se is almost impossible now. You have to sell this as far as I know she is concerned. You know, you have to begin building people from being people. Today, what you have is people are not people, they're not, they're not there. They're not tuned in. They're not part of anything. And they don't have lives most of the time. You have to introduce them to the fact there's something called life. You know, and, and there is something called life. Once you introduce them to the Anoshius, you have something to start with. Then there's a system you present to them called Yiddishkeit. But it's got to start from the very, very rock bottom. Where is your Anoshius? Where is your humanity? You know what I mean? We, people have become very, very unfortunately broken down you know, the, I was just had a little discussion before here in the basement. Mm-hmm. Someone asked me, that, you know, about how would I define the world at large today? And I said, it's a world of no boundaries. You know, that's literal and figurative. If you look at the south of the American border, there are no boundaries. That's externally no boundaries and internally no boundaries. You could do anything you want. You could be anything you want. Boundaries have gone. To introduce to somebody that life can be lived with boundaries 
And the most beautiful of lives can be lived with boundaries. Boundaries make life worth living. Otherwise, your boundary lists, the sky's the limit, you're all over the place, and you're nothing at that point. When you stand for something, you stand for something. If you stand for nothing, you remain nothing. There is nothing called a boundary. The only way Kiev can be done today is to introduce people to the concept called boundaries, limitations, and then growth within the context of limitations. Then there's a feeling, you can re-tap the nekuda, that point of humanism called within the person. Humanism is a good word, the human being within the, in the person. To be able to, to foster that, to make that growth, to become that, and then you're just, and the system that you have over here, being part of the heritage of who you are, the Yiddishkeit is a system which really works to bring the best out of who you are. I think Dr. Palkovitz says regarding parenting, it's love and limits. And, uh, right, very important. The, uh, same idea. Same, same idea. idea. I say the same idea. Love, because today they, they can't deal with, with stern. Parents need love, but limits are so important. And the kids appreciate it. Right. In the moment, they don't. But of course, the respect don't. goes up. Respect goes up, and they begin to realize themselves that they feel so much better about themselves when the, indeed limitations are, are, are put, are placed. So we're sitting right here in Columbus, Ohio, not as big as a city as, let's say, Cleveland, Cincinnati. Baruch Hashem, we're growing. Um, but we were told um, that there's a haftacha, there's a promise for people that go out of town, um, places where not necessarily as big Jewish communities, that they will be able to raise their family with their values, um, even if they're not where they used to be. I don't know where it came from. I'm, you know, young man. But uh, if it's true, does it still apply today? So like this, a lot of it is coming from Aaron Cutler having told my father. Mm-hmm. When he came to Philadelphia, he said in Yiddish, he told him, If you work for God's children, God will work for your children. He felt the fact you go out to help the children of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, get what they need, HaKadosh Baruch Hu helps you. Let me tell you something about Columbus. Something which is different from the big cities that have infrastructure. Columbus is in the highest of the world at large because there's less infrastructure here and less people that appreciate the need for infrastructure here. It becomes in the highest of Klal Yisrael. So Klal Yisrael is for Arad Sloche. It means these cities. The cities that have their own infrastructure have their own people that are caring for those things. It becomes less of, quote, in a collective Achrayis for Klal Yisrael. Now, the Gemara tells us about the roya, that the shepherd, that when there's a, there's, a, there's a flock, is that sheep on the side that he says keeps an eye there. It's the one on the side that's not part of where the herd is, that's really kept. That's that ain't a pekicha, that eye that he sees these, like, God-forsaken communities that don't seem to be part of the overall collective community, they need special siyat to the Shemayim. So, indeed, I'll tell you very categorically, that the connected midah for Kaddish Baruch's children are being tended to. You're helping a community at large, Kaddish Baruch looks to help you as well. Wow. I like that. <laughs> we live in a generation of wealth and materialism. I mean, I'm not so, um, you know, I'm, I grew up in the 90s and I go to conventions today. So I didn't, in other words, I didn't grow up where you were lucky to have cereal for breakfast. And today you go to conventions and the amount of food, the amount of comfort that we live in is just incredible. It's sometimes I feel it's insane. But at the same time, we talked about Mashiach, 
how are we supposed to be achakaloi bechol yom shav? Yearn Mashiach. We're living such comfortable lives. It's a good question. It's a, it's a challenge. Not so much a question. It's a challenge. You know, if a person understands that whatever he has is hevel havolam compared to what will be. And whatever he has, because we're so caught off with the moment and, and appreciating what we have, the feeling is that it can't be better than this. But when we're to stop and think about whatever this is, and this is only not lasting, the Gemara says in the Vedizora, speaks about a, a, a goy in a situation where he was given all pleasures. He turns to him and says, you think, have, I think you know the Mabo? He turns to him and says, yours don't last. Good times don't last. And indeed, as you're saying, that the case are called, to, case, case are called for him to get out of all the pleasures and go meet the, meet, meet the king. So in other words, to understand that all of this is, is, is temporal, all of this is, you know, ephemeral, it moves away, it's something you can't really say lasts. So once you have the kind of, that, that, that mind, you suddenly focus, what is lasting? What is eternal? What's more important than this temporal moment of, of the fleeting moment of enjoying this, the, you know, the steak? You know, it's a shift in attitude, otherwise it's very difficult. It's heavy. You have to see yes, it, it is. Smoke, stress. Yes. When do we get to welcome Rashiba back to Columbus, Ohio? That's a good question. You know, what I have now is other people upset with me that I came here finally after they made their entreaties to me, Cincinnati included, actually, <laughs> and Chicago and Cleveland, Cleveland, Ohio as well. And you're coming out to Columbus. How many times have we tried to get you? So it worked out this time, so it's hard to say. <laughs> and they come twice to you and not, not once to Cleveland, I don't think they'll be so happy. So whenever it is, it is. We could do a joint, you know, Columbus is in between Cleveland and Cincinnati, so we could actually do something here for well, the whole Ohio. <laughs> okay, thank you for the vote of confidence. <laughs> I want to thank Rashid for coming on this on this podcast. And uh I got to ask a lot of unscripted questions, and I'll tell you that I was I was in touch with Yaakov Shweki, who, by the way, sends his love in regards to the Rashiva. Thank and you. I told him what we're doing, and he said, oh, the Rashiva is the best person to interview with unscripted questions. Okay, thank you. <laughs> and I see uh, Baruch Hashem. We had a, we had a great conversation. And, thank you. Uh, we have a great program coming up. And again, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Okay. To listen to all Kolot episodes and see upcoming guests, visit kolopodcast.com. We are also on all podcast players. Type in Kolot on iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Podbean, and Amazon. Share with your friends and please make sure to give us a five-star review. Kolot is a project of the Columbus Community Kolel, a full-time Jewish learning center in Bexley, staffed with high-caliber Torah scholars. Ever since 1995, boys, girls, men and women from all backgrounds and affiliations have found many opportunities to connect with Torah and mitzvahs at the Kolel. Whether it's a study partner, engaging lesson, or a program, the Kolel is your one-stop shop for all your Jewish learning. If you want to know how you can benefit from the Kolel, visit thekolel.org. That is T-H-E-K-O-L-L-E-L dot org and forever be inspired.